Good morning, and welcome to worship at Grace United Church. My name is Sarah Brewer, and I'm delighted to be here in ministry with you this fall. In our service this morning, we join with our siblings in Christ around the globe as we celebrate World Communion Sunday together. Those of you who are here with us in person today will have picked up a single serve portion of communion on your way into the sanctuary this morning. And I'll give you more instructions about how to use those when the time comes later in the service. As you know all too well by now, in order to keep our community and our world as healthy as possible in the midst of a global pandemic, we are having to stretch our flexibility and do things differently than we might like. So please do keep your masks on, stay in your seat until the usher says it's time to leave and follow the instructions for communion when that time comes. Those of you who are joining us from home may want to run off and get something to eat and drink from where you are so that you can also join us in communion today. If that's not bread and juice, that's okay. We know that at the Last Supper, Jesus shared the food and the drink that was sitting on the table in front of him. And during this pandemic time, people have had to get creative in order to participate in communion from home. So welcome. We hope you will join us and do the same. Earlier this week, a group of us from Grace joined with United Church people from four other congregations to begin a study series on truth and reconciliation. One thing we learned about in our first session together was the Oka crisis of 1990, which few of us knew had begun as a peaceful protest by the women of Kanesatake against the local municipality's plan to expand a nine-hole golf course to 18 holes. That expansion was planned without the courtesy of consulting the Kanesatake people, despite the fact that it involved a plan to move an old growth forest, to remove an old growth forest, and to move the Kanesatake's ancestral cemetery. The town council responded to their peaceful protest by calling the police who advanced on the protest with tear gas and concussion grenades. When the Mohawk people fought back and an officer was killed, the police brought in the army to back them up in their fight for the right to displace an indigenous cemetery and old growth forest so that they could expand their golf course. The standoff protest continued for three months until the day a Canadian soldier stabbed a 14-year-old Indigenous girl who was carrying her little sister to safety at the time in the chest with a bayonet. Yet as we heard, though the standoff ended and the federal government brought the land, bought the land so that the cemetery and the forest would be protected, animosity between the town and the reserve continues to this day as a result of that summer 30 years ago. 
Knowing this history makes this week's news about a peaceful, out-of-court settlement between Saugeen Ojibwe Nation and the municipality of Saugeen Shores all the more significant. As Chief Lester Anaquat of Saugeen First Nation is reported to have said, through cooperation and a spirit of listening and joint respect, we have been able to arrive at an agreement with Saugeen Shores that supports a strong relationship between our communities. Chief Veronica Smith of the Chippewas of Nawash Unceded First Nations adds that reconciliation is an ongoing process, but each step forward is important and significant. This resolution has strengthened the partnership with our neighbors at the town of Saugeen Shores and is a positive step forward in our journey together on our traditional lands. With both of these stories, what both of them remind us of is the reality that long before my ancestors arrived in this land, there were people who called it home. Our church is situated on the traditional territory of the Ojibwe, the Anishinaabek, the Haudenosaunee, and the Métis peoples. We are grateful for the ways that they have cared and continue to care for the land, the water, the air, the plants, the animals, and the people who live here. These two stories told in parallel also remind us that there are ways of being together that create divisiveness, and there are ways of being together that promote harmony. We confess that all too often the church has behaved in the kinds of ways that contribute to discord, and we recommit ourselves with this land acknowledgement to becoming people, peaceful people. May it be so. May the light of Christ shine brightly in our lives and all around us. Amen. Please join me in our call to worship. God of life, we come seeking a united table, a table where our differences do not separate us, but enrich and challenge us. God of life, we come seeking a table of reconciliation, a table where we can sit together with our differences and our distinctiveness respected and loved. God of life, we come seeking a table of abundance and grace, a table where fear and scarcity have no voice, for there is generous sharing with room and grace for all. God of life, we come seeking a table of justice and peace, a table where people gather in solidarity, a place we wish to sit and celebrate our faith with the fullness of our being. God of life, we come with our siblings the world over. Regardless of language or tradition, may we be nourished by your love and grace. Let us pray. Holy One, creator of all, 
Gather your human family around your tables. Set a place for us and make room for everyone. Help us to remember Jesus and celebrate his feast with bread and juice. Gather us together with your faithful around the world to celebrate communion, community, and your unconditional love, we pray. Amen. When emergencies strike, people need help right away. First with the basics, shelter, food, clothing, and then with rebuilding. Increasingly, people around the world are facing a variety of disasters. Climate change, health crises, food insecurity, and violent conflicts that forcibly displace thousands are just some of the catastrophes that affect millions of people every day. The United Church is part of a worldwide network that makes a difference in the lives of those most at risk. United Church partners and ecumenical relationships in over 120 countries mean that we are on the ground ready to help in times of emergencies. Recently, generous supporters have helped people struggling as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, the devastating explosion in Beirut, and the earthquake in Haiti. From vaccines to hygiene kits to food to farm implements, your support is there when it is needed. In return, our partners minister to us in a variety of ways, including spiritually. The United Church of Christ in the Philippines, a mission and service partner, shares this prayer with us. Let us pray together. Most gracious and merciful God, amidst the din of howling winds, above the noise of rampaging waves, atop the earthquakes and the shaking of the earth, we hear your voice. Be still and know that I am God. Yes, even in times when we are prone not to be still, at moments when we are sorely tempted to resort to flight, we hear you and we pause to listen and to reflect to stand still and recognize that indeed you are the God who is with us, that is not in the wind or waves or in the earth's tremors that you speak, and that even when we walk through the shadow of the valley of death, that we are not alone, that even when we are put in the crucible of the fiery furnace, that you are there to save. In times like these, you speak to reassure us through that still, small voice, through the concrete acts of solidarity of partners and friends, through those who lovingly stretched out their helping hands, to those ravaged by the storm, to those who are desolate and in dis despair, to those who are left with a threadbare of hope. In times like these, you assure us that we are not alone, that we have sisters and brothers who are moved to walk the lonesome valley with us. We thank you for times like these. Your love and care are made more manifest and incarnate, made alive in concrete deeds of loving kindness and compassion. To you we return all glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. The scripture reading today is taken from Mark 10, verses 13 to 16. The little children and Jesus. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Let us pray. Creator God, you speak to us in so many ways through so many people. 
May we hear your message for us and our lives through this story from our faith tradition. In this time of reflection upon it, I pray that the words I will speak and the messages we all receive will be a faithful reflection of your will for our lives. Amen. Episcopal Bishop Michael Curry, who is perhaps most famous for preaching the sermon at Prince Harry's wedding to Meghan Markle, but who deserves to be famous for being a marvelously profound yet down-to-earth theologian, tells this story about how his parents came to be part of the Episcopal Church, which is what the Anglican Church in the United States is called, in his book, Love is the Way. He writes, My parents met and fell in love when my mother was teaching college math at Wilberforce, where my father was in seminary. He had come from a long line of Baptist preachers. For her undergrad, my mother had gone to West Virginia State, at that time a black college, then received her master's in mathematics from the University of Chicago. Keep in mind this was the 1940s. For a woman, and a black woman at that, to study math at the University of Chicago, she must have been pretty special. It was because of my mother that my father became an Episcopal priest. They had both been raised Baptist, but she had become Episcopalian in Chicago. While they were dating, she took my father to church. They were among the few black parishioners in the pews that day. My father was amazed, but dubious when it came time for communion. The priest welcomed everyone to receive the Eucharist and from a single communal cup. Again, this was the 1940s. Jim Crow was alive and well. It was the North, but segregation and separation of the races was still the law of the land. President Franklin Roosevelt had just a few years earlier issued an executive order desegregating defense industries. The armed forces had not yet been integrated. Brown versus the Board of Education of Topeka had not yet happened. The Montgomery bus boycott had not yet happened. Martin Luther King Jr. was still in seminary. And my father saw one cup from which everyone was to drink. One cup. One cup? My father hung back as my mother went forward. He wondered if the priest would really offer her the common cup. And if he did, would others continue to drink from the same cup? He held his breath as my mother sipped. And as the cup was passed, the next person did drink. And the next, and the next, and the next. When he told that story, he would always say, any church in which blacks and whites drink out of the same cup knows something about the gospel that I want to be part of. And so my mother led my father down a path that he probably would have never taken for himself. Love in action. 
Bishop Curry's father said, any church where blacks and whites drink out of the same cup knows something about the gospel that I want to be part of. Now, of course, during COVID, we are not gonna drink out of the same cup. We're not even gonna come forward and break bread from a common loaf. Those of us who are gathered together here in person this morning will share communion with little packages, a wafer and a sip of juice because that's part of how we care for each other in this time. Nevertheless, I want us to pause today to think about the image of a common cup, which has such a deep history in our Christian tradition. The sacrament of communion has always been about bringing people together with all our diversity as a community in relationship with God. Communion is not about me and God. It's about all of us together as the people of God, finding nourishment in God's love for the way ahead. Even when we take communion to folks who cannot make it out to worship easily, it is an extension of the common table. We do that as part of the community of faith. In some traditions, like the Episcopal Church that Bishop Curry comes from, they even bless the bread that they will take to others at the same time that they bless the bread on the communion table, emphasizing that the communion shared with those who cannot be present is the same as that shared together in the worshiping space. Those of you who are worshiping with us online or on TV will get to experience that today as you join the celebration of communion. It may not be the same as being here in person, but it is nevertheless still real communion. In the sacrament of communion, we share a common cup in spirit, even if we don't literally drink from the same one. And here in the United Church, when we gather around the table, we often say something like, Everyone is welcome here. We're proud that we have an open table, where folks who are not members of our denomination are also welcome. We believe that this is in keeping with the way that Jesus showed us. When people were bringing children to Jesus to bless, his disciples tried to shoo them away. And Jesus said, let them come to me. At a time when children had no rights or status and they were viewed as the property of their fathers, Jesus welcomed them, took them in his arms and blessed them. Or as the book of Hebrews declares, Jesus calls all of his followers, brothers and sisters, siblings in the way of God. Jesus ate with tax collectors and prostitutes, with religious leaders and peasants and day laborers, with faithful Jews and with Gentiles, with women and children. In the theology and the practice of the early church, followers of Jesus saw themselves as all one family with mutual responsibility for one another. That connection was embodied in the Eucharist, 
when bread was broken and shared with all, regardless of status, slave and free, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor. Yet I wonder how often our all are welcome here declarations really mean all are welcome here. It's much easier to say than it is to live out. That is what Bishop Curry found so remarkable in his parents' story. At a time when black and white people did not drink from the same water fountains, sit together in the same classrooms or on buses, eat in the same restaurants or associate with one another in most settings, the communion cup of the Episcopal Church was passed around to everyone. Male and female, black and white. And in that simple yet profound act, Bishop Curry's father experienced the power of the gospel in a way that words could never communicate. How sad it is then when the church fails to embody the gospel and instead creates hurt and division in our communities and in our world. How often do we neglect that common cup of grace which is ours to drink deeply from and to share freely with the world? Around the same time that Bishop Curry's father converted to Episcopalianism because of the common cup, a young girl named Helen was a child at the Portage Indian Residential School. The Portage Indian Residential School began as a Presbyterian mission in 1888, then became a United Church School with the formation of our denomination in 1925, and it ran until 1961. Because of this connection to the church, students like Helen attended worship as a group every Sunday. As Helen describes it, the residential school students walked the three kilometers from the school to the church in all kinds of weather, often without adequate winter clothing, Keep in mind that winter on the prairies can sometimes see temperatures like minus 30 and minus 40. And they were made to come in through the back door and up the back stairwell to their section at the front of the church where they sat as a group. They were told that they were not worthy to come through the front door. And they were also instructed not to look the white people in the eyes as they were dirt and not worthy of notice. Failure to be appropriately submissive in church could result in a reprimand and possibly a beating when they got back to the school. What local folks remembered as shyness was in fact mandated by the leadership at the school and the consequence of speaking to anyone at church, child or adult, unless directly spoken to, could be dire for the student. This proved to be quite an effective strategy at keeping the children from telling the church people anything about the horrible conditions that they were living in at the school. 
So a few years ago now, Helen, who is in her 70s, contacted my wife Beth at the church where she was working. Because despite the fact that she has since moved to another province, she wanted to go back and walk through the front door of the church like a first-class human being. Needless to say, arrangements were made for Helen to not only visit and walk through the front door, but to also speak in worship that morning. Helen spoke with honesty and amazing grace. And many people were shocked to learn that their perception of how things had been with the residential school children attending worship was not how the students themselves experienced it. The students were present, but they were not made to feel welcome. The church filled with folks who, though good people in their hearts, were, were complicit in a racist system. They had not welcomed the children in Jesus' name. Instead, they had collaborated in cultural genocide and turned a blind eye to signs of abuse. Unfortunately, such racism is not just a thing of the past in the church. One of my commitments in the wider church is that I serve on the admissions board for the United Church of Canada. Over the past number of years, we have interviewed many amazing ministers from all around the world who have great skills and gifts to offer the church. The admissions process that they go through is rigorous. They must prove their credentials to a credentialing committee, and then they undergo interviewing by our admissions board. We only recommend ministers who we believe will be an asset to the United Church of Canada and who have sufficient language skills to minister here in English or French. Yet of those we have recommended to enter the admissions process in recent years, only 16%, 16% of the racialized ministers have found the congregational appointment they need to take the next step on the process. By contrast, all of the Caucasian applicants with Anglo-Saxon sounding names have found a placement. So we are missing out on many ministers who would be great assets to our denomination and help expand our vision beyond our North American-centric worldview. We say that all are welcome here. In fact, we say that we are trying to become an anti-racist denomination. Yet when it comes to finding ministers, many congregations are opting to go without one rather than welcome someone with black or brown skin who might speak with an accent and eat something different for breakfast. So friends, we have work to do. Like the Episcopal Church in the United States in the 1940s, we are called to share that radical inclusivity of the gospel, of love in action, in word 
and through what we do. In our text for today, we hear that when the disciples try to shoo some people away, Jesus says, don't you dare. Let them come. All are welcome here. As followers of Jesus, we are called to build a communion table where all are welcome, where diversity is celebrated as a strength, and where we lift a common cup in Jesus' name. So on this World Communion Sunday, let us remember our interconnectedness with the world and let us recommit ourselves to following the way of Jesus, whose love shows us how to truly welcome everyone to God's table. May it be so. Amen. Let us pray. Merciful God, we place before you the concerns of our lives and the sufferings of the world. In the midst of skepticism and doubt of our loving being, kindle your light in the hearts of all people to feel your presence, to trust your faithful covenant, to have faith in your promise of salvation. In the midst of religious plurality, which can cause suspicion and hatred within communities, kindle your light in the hearts of all people to honor each other as your children, born in your image, to respect each other's beliefs and ways, to end the use of religion to exercise political and social power, to stop discrimination and division. In the midst of threats of violence and wars in the name of religion, kindle your light in the hearts of all people to turn our weapons of death into instruments of life, to seek truth, peace, and justice, to offer genuine forgiveness and love, to work together in harmony as siblings, in comforting all in distress, and comforting, consoling all who live in fear. As we continue our work for the reign of your love, kindle your light in our hearts. Keep us open to seeing the holy in unexpected ways and in all our days. May our lives be witness to Christ's ministry and love to our neighbors. May we work together for peace and reconciliation. Gracious God, in your loving embrace, hear our prayers and grant us all we need to live into your kingdom. We pray. Amen. Friends, come. Find your place around God's table. Come, for here Christ welcomes all. Heals refreshes and restores. Come, find your place around this table. Come, whoever you are, whoever you are not, whoever you are yet to be. Come, find your place here. God, we thank you 
And we praise you for you created this world out of love, without limits. In your great love, you brought forth humanity, rich and diverse, and called us to tend your creation and compassion. When we fail to recognize our place in your creative dreaming, when we strayed from you and from our neighbors, you sent Jesus to help us find our place again with you. We give thanks for the life and the teachings of Jesus. Through him, we have come to know your unconditional love and grace. We give thanks for the gifts of the Holy Spirit that moves us to experience love and grace in new and unexpected ways that calls us to see your image in all people and in all of creation. That we give thanks for all traditions and teachings that are different from our own, but which bind us together through messages of love and grace. God, we remember that on the night before Jesus died, he sat at table with people who loved him and with some who would betray him. He sat with people who were seen and known and many who were not. He sat with people who believed and with people who were deeply questioning. At the table with a place for all, Jesus took bread. He blessed it and he shared it with his friends. And he said, each time you eat bread together, remember me. Then he picked up a cup. He blessed it. He shared it with his friends and he said, <coughs> Each time you drink from this cup together, remember me. So now we gather with bread and juice, or whatever else you might have with you at home, to eat, to drink, and to remember Jesus. And so we pray, God of unconditional love, the grace of Jesus the Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that binds us to one another, may your presence be known to us this day, regardless of our differences, in the bread that feeds our body and the cup that quenches our thirst. May we become one body as we share this one meal. Friends, Christ is the bread of life, food for healing and wholeness. Christ is the cup of love, wellspring of life, for all of us.
These are the gifts of God for all people. So now it's time for us to share communion. If you pick up your little packet and you peel the clear film off the top, you should have access to a small wafer. You can take that out and hold it in your hand so that we can eat together. You'll also need to lift your mask or remove it briefly to be able to put the food in your mouth. This is the bread of life. as our time of worship draws to a close for this week. I offer you this blessing from Central America. May God prosper you. May your days be long and your nights serene. May your friendships honor you and your family love you. And may you be gathered into God's embrace with a smile. For you are held in the unconditional love of God, the unlimited grace of Jesus, and the unending presence of the Holy Spirit, this day and evermore. Amen.